You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out all trouble and drum. Beat out all trouble and drum. Beat out all trouble and drum and kick all trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum and kick all trouble out the door. Kick him 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 out the Welcome to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscan. As usual, we had to scrape the bottom of the barrel to find a guest, but I got the time machine working. And we have, as our special guest for the next 56 minutes, a man with a history, Mr. Marcus Markle. Mark Spartacus, how are you? I'm, I'm really good. How are you going, Joe? I'm, I'm, I'm really good. It's not often that I get to speak to a boyhood hero. I've got no heroes, but you're one of my boyhood heroes, Mr Spartacus. What are you doing here in the 21st century? Um, time travel. Time travel. <laughs> you realise this isn't commercial radio and we can't pay you. You do it for the well, love of it. I don't know. Did did QAnon have a theory about time travel? Um, I'd be surprised if they didn't. They had quite a few did they? in the brief time I tried to understand them. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, just just go back to where you came from. Now, I've always had a question for you, Spartacus. I've always had a question for you. Why, yeah. after you defeated the Roman armies, you got half, you got almost back to Germany. You were at the base okay. of the Alps. You decided yes. to turn back. Had the soft life. You know, has this, you know, the gold and the, you know, the good life in Rome kind of corrupted you? Yeah, well, not really, because we were sort of roaming around, pillaging as you, as you do, and, mm, and mm, uh, mm. you know, had to had to stay there and uh, mm. um, su- support the um, the tens of thousands of um, of released slaves that were following us around. So it wasn't as simple as it looks. No, it wasn't. There was, um, no. You felt a moral responsibility. I did. I mm, did feel a, yeah, feel a yeah. moral, moral responsibility, yeah. Look, have, you, have you ever walked up the APN way? Yes, I have, actually. Um, I've, um, I was outside Rome, and mm-hmm. it was raining, mm-hmm. and I was walking along the APN way thinking, wow, yep. this is the APN way. Um, I think I remember hanging around here, or my people hanging around here. That's right, they did. And... Um, uh, and then I went into this little 
Italian cacciatoria or whatever it was. You know, mm. those little, yeah, yeah. Uh, little restaurants. It was fantastic. Yeah, trattatoria. Trattatoria, not cacciatoria. Cacciatoria is hunter. Trattatoria. Okay. Well, I felt like a hunter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 think, I don't think people realise that when they go up that Apian Way, there were 6,000 people crucified along the Apian Way, all the people who've been captured at the end of the big slave revolt. Because when I went up there, I just had that, just I felt that historical sense, you know. You know, thousands, 6,000 people crucified. Could you imagine it? Well, it's the thing about the history of the Romans is, is it's been glorified, but their economy was built upon trade and slavery. Yep. They were the Nazi, Nazis of their time. Mm. Um, and, you know, so many Africans were brought into um, uh, as slaves into Italy that um, I think 20% of southern Italian DNA is African because the, mm. obviously the slaves outnumbered the Romans. Yeah, it's quite interesting because the plebeians were actually uh, worked out of the Roman landscape. They had votes... This is before it became a, a dictatorship. And there were so many slaves who didn't get paid that uh, what happened to the original Roman citizens, they were pushed out to the uh, edges of society and there was the possibility of re- a revolt of the plebeians and that's why we've got all those public holidays. We have a, uh, you know, we have uh, subsidised food and the list goes on and on because they had to, that's where the bread sure. and circus is because you're quite right, it was based on slavery and they had huge land earnings. But we're not here to talk about that. Now, the main reason we're calling you Spartacus is because you belong to an industry where, we're, where you normally don't open your mouth and if you do open your mouth and tell us all those secrets which you're going to, you may find yourself looking for a job and trying to eke out an existence on job seekers. Is that correct? Um... <laughs> Look, to some extent, look, I'm a licensed estate agent and I'm also a libertarian socialist. And they're, you know, they're, they're not really, they're not, or anarchist or whatever, but they're not yeah. really um, yeah. compatible. Now, do you know, can I tell you a funny story about real estate agents and libertarian socialists or anarchists? Yes. Well, <laughs> 25 years ago, when I was living in Richmond, I was invited as an anarchist to address a coven of real estate agents and what anarchism was all about. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, well, w- would they have understood it? Of course they I did. I don't know. How did you go? Well, they, look, yeah? I, 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 I use the concept of outsourcing. You know, people make decisions and then they outsource yep. that. And they understood that 100%. <laughs> No, that was no. Look, it was interesting. It was an interesting discussion. It's a pity we don't get people like you and me don't get more of these invitations to uh, to speak at these type of uh, events. But I was I was a bit chuffed to do that. I should put it on my CV. Yes. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, um, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's challenging. It was, um, uh, it was one of the main real. I think it was one of the main real estate agents in Richmond. So uh, I'll leave it yes. at that. They organised it, and uh, we had a. Slap bang afternoon, as they say. Um, so, why are you on? I mean, can, can I ask you some questions? Like, were you born? Yeah, in, sure. Were you born in Victoria? Yes, I was born in Ararat, oh. um, in northern Victoria, not Mount Ararat, no. but um, Ararat, northern Victoria. Um, and there's a plaque on the hospital 
um, building that says Mark Spartacus was born here. No, it doesn't. No, there's no plaque. <laughs> well, no, there's no plaque. Fact, Are you one of their fact, famous sons or not? No, I'm, I'm not, there's nothing famous about me. Um, I think, um, in fact, I'm amazed that I've been invited on this program. But um, um, no, in fact, the doctor had to go and play in a golf tor- tournament. So I was induced so that he could nick off and go, <laughs> go and play his golf. Uh, what's which wrong apparently with... was quite common in those days. Excuse me, what's wrong with that? I'm a doctor. I've been a doctor for 45 years. What's wrong with that? That's normal procedure. What, so you used to go and play a golf tournament? No, I've never. Well, I've actually never. I've never played golf. But I'm just saying it was not unusual. I mean, labour can be ruin a man or a woman or a doctor's life. You know, it can ruin that, especially if you're an obstetrician. So in the good old days, you're able to plan things. You know, cesareans, yeah. inductions. Well, I never found out if he won his golf, if he won it, won it in his golf tournament. You Didn't know? You? So, mm-hmm. No. Has this, has this had an impact on your life? Not, not to my knowledge, no. no. <laughs> well, well, the fact, well, then it made no difference, did it? So stop dissing the doctor. That's total disrespect. So did you go to primary school at Ararat or did you move on? So we moved from Ararat to... to um, Mildura, and then yeah. um, I went to Mildura West Primary School. Yes. Yeah. And what was that experience like for a young lad? Uh, what, what year was that? Um, the 1830s, I think. No, no, no. <laughs> so it was in the, the late 60s, in the late 60s, or the mid to late 60s. You're just a whippersnapper. Um, you wouldn't even be 60 now. No, I'm just, I'm just. I'm nearly approaching middle age. Yeah. <laughs> you must be 30. Well, I don't know. Math, I'm not a mathematician. <clears throat> so, but, um, uh, so, yeah. Did they still have the strap in those days or had it been abolished by then? Well, you know, I was I was a bit of a rebel, mm-hmm. which is probably that, not a surprise. The fact you were induced, but, um, I think, did kind of cause rebellion, yes. I was in, I think I was in grade... I think it was in prep or something, mm. but I can't remember prep or grade one. But the um, um, around the time that the the man, man Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, mm. my headmaster had been threatening towards me because <laughs> uh, I'd played up or something, and so I broke his glasses. Whoa! Um, I felt I felt intimidated by him. Mm. So even as a tiny little kid, I I. Uh, attacked my headmaster mm. and broke his glasses because mm. he was being threatening. I thought he was. You, rea- yeah. you realise that... It didn't go down well. You realise today... And I bit my, bit my teacher too, which yeah. is a bit violent. You realise that in 2021 there is a new psych- psychiatric disorder we like to label children with, and I think you had this disorder, authority defiance syndrome. Does it sound as if you had authority defiance syndrome? Extent, maybe I don't know. No, 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 no. I, I reckon. I reckon it was legitimate. It, I'm just. I'm making a joke. I'm just. I know it's hard. You got to explain yeah. jokes sometimes. The fact is today that if you got kids, well, you got to explain them to me. Yeah, yeah, well, I can understand that you're born in there, right? Now, but uh, going back one step, there's this syndrome now which has been recognised in the psychiatric register as authority yes. defiance syndrome. You got to laugh about it. It's kids yeah. who take. Uh, who are unhappy with people 
telling them what to do all the time of authority and now they've been labelled as if they've got some type of psychiatric disorder. It's just extraordinary, really. It's extraordinary. Yeah, well, we, you know, are, are we starting to over-diagnose or misdiagnose things? I don't, I don't know. No, we are but, over-di- um, we're over-diagnosing normal behaviour, a normal spectrum of behaviour, because if we can compartmentalise it into some type of psychiatric disorder, we can make some money from it. Do you know that, Marcus? Yeah. Well, look, I've been, I, I, like, years later, I also trained as a, uh, a counsellor mm-hmm. uh, for... Um, they were called crisis line. There was yeah. crisis line and, and lifeline. Lifeline is still around. Crisis line ran out of money. Um, but I know that there's, you know, all sorts of disorders that people have. And mm. uh, so I, I don't know. There could be elements of um, overdiagnosing and misdiagnosing, certainly. Mm. Yeah. Well, in the old days, we had eccentrics. Now we've got people with authority defiance syndrome. Now, so you survived primary school? I did, yes. Did you learn yes, anything? Absolutely. Did you learn? Did you think that you had any talent in I, primary school? I, uh, I don't know about talent, um, but I, we did have a gang. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, but you know, I think yeah. So, but I don't know. I don't think I had any talent. No, yeah. you had a gang. Was it an equal opportunity yeah. gang or was it restricted to certain genders and racial stereotypes? Um, no, it was, it, there were both genders in the gang. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you were happy to, you know, rob anybody you could at any time you could. I can't remember. I think we just all hung out together and we were called a gang. And the gang, yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. All right, so, so you graduated to high, secondary college. So where did you go? So we moved down to Melbourne, mm-hmm. and um, and then um, anyway, eventually I was sent off to. Oh, at the age of nine, I was sent off to boarding school what? for three years. At nine. So yeah. So my parents, uh, my mum used to trade antiques. Yes. She was really good in the antique business. She made mm. some money out of that. Mm. Um, and my father had a pharmacy in Brunswick. Right. And um, that was opposite Barclay Square. Oh, so yeah. um, oh. my parents worked very hard and, you know, I was a bit of an inconvenience. So they packed me off to boarding school. Did, yeah. you, have, did you have any brothers and sisters at this stage? Two sisters, but they were a bit older. So, so- they didn't have they, did, they, they managed to miss out on the boarding school bit. So they yeah. weren't an inconvenience then, you were? Yes, yeah. Oh. I was a bit of a bit of a handful, though. Yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah. that's it. The defiance authority, was it authority defiance syndrome breaking out again? So which boarding school did they inflict you on? Ballarat. It was called, it was called <laughs> Ballarat Queen's Grammar, Ooh. and it was very English, mm-hmm. and it was um, it was possibly one of the worst experiences of my life. Very violent, mm-hmm. and I won't go into That's great depth no, about I it, yep. as you can imagine. Yep. Uh, wasn't as bad as Christian Brothers, I don't think, but right. it was certainly pretty violent. Right, yeah. right. And this was the norm in those days? Well, it's just how it all operated. Yeah, yeah. it was quite hierarchical, and the older kids would beat the, beat the younger kids to a pulp yeah. and, and worse. Yeah. Right. So... Uh, did your parent? Did you, did you complain to your parents, or there was no point? Um, look, I did, and 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 eventually, I was 
I was um, withdrawn, but I won't go into great no, depth. No, no, no. And what, did you, did, yeah. did you continue your education after that? So I continued my education, went to Carey Grammar, mm-hmm. very bourgeois school, uh, bourgeois environment, and, um, and then I dropped out of Carey during VCE uh, and, I, and did my VCE at night with real people. <laughs> um, um, and, um, and that was the a Q, Q High, Q High right. evening school. So I did my VC at night and I just, I just didn't like the environment at Kerry and, uh, mm. you know, it was much better doing my VCE at, at night and then headed off to Monash Uni to do a BA. Mm. Now, going back to Kerry, um, was, yep. it, was it just the environment or was it the kids and their attitudes? What, what didn't you like? Oh, it was the whole, the whole thing. So, mm. so it was very, uh, it was quite hierarchical. Um, and you know, you were, you were, you know, I remember when I studied economics, um, it was a very, um, neoliberal version of economics, you know, um, so, um, it was interesting, but it was, I mean, I was, I, I didn't have enough knowledge outside of that. I knew I didn't like the environment I was in, mm. but, um, I didn't have enough knowledge about other things to make good judgments here. So a lot of people when they you know, leave high school early before VC, they don't go back to education. You went back straight away, you just went to school high. So obviously your parents um, did they um, influence your Well decision? I'd left home again and I was mm. living in this boarding house right. while I was at school mm. and um, but, but it was a bit it was a bit of an eye opener because people were injecting drugs there. Right. So you got this kid in kid in, kid in uniform <laughs> heading off to school, <laughs> and then after school, um, someone asks if they can borrow some money so they can take you know shoot up, yeah, yeah, yeah. or or you know somebody turn up at your room with two bottles of beer or something. Yeah. Um, so it was a it was a bit of an it was a bit of an education. Yeah, well, <clears throat> This would have been what the mid nineteen nineties or the early nineteen nineties. It was in the eighties. In the eighties, yeah, it sounds like the eighties, doesn't it? It does sound. Like, look, I remember those days. I remember who was I? I was squatting the Archbishop's house in Turak, as you do. As you do, that's as pretty As you good. do, yeah. And um, you know, me and my mate would come down from Queensland. We were ripping up the boards and using them as that's the floorboards and using them as a fire, you know, because it was cold. We weren't used to the cold, right? I was about nine. Yeah. This was the late 70s. And all of a sudden, these kind of gangster-looking blokes turn up, put a gun to your head and said, where's where's so-and-so? We we don't know so-and-so. They were looking for their money. They were looking for the dealer who cheated them out of heroin. It was a scourge, wasn't it? For at least 20 to 30 years, it continues to be a scourge, but it was a real well, scourge. Well, I, I, I'm a bit younger than you, but I probably mm. didn't have as much exposure, but I remember oh. um, people shooting up, and, and I remember it being offered to me and, and, and thinking, no, I can't think of anything worse than putting a needle in my arm. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> it was an education, and it was a, you know something to see, um, and also what made people do that, um, but I remember the first time we went down to St Kilda and, you know, went down with some friends and then there was another group of friends there who started shooting up and I thought, yeah. oh, well, this is a bit different. Yeah, it was, it was everywhere. No, it was everywhere. I remember I had a patient 
uh, die and it was a heroin overdose and uh, I just had suspicions he could have been hot-shotted, you know, because he wasn't a pleasant person. And uh, when I was being interviewed by the police about his death, I mentioned it and he said, and the bloke, the senior detective looks at me and says, look, we've had 390 heroin overdose deaths. We can't investigate all of them. That was in one year in Melbourne. Extraordinary numbers. Extraordinary. This was in the early Yeah, 90s. well, it was. A, I don't know to what extent it was cut down with, um, you know, baby formula or whatever they do. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I think, I imagine hot shotting would have been, um, there would have been some elements of that. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's, a, it's a dark, dirty world I don't really want to get into. No, um, no, no, you're right. <clears throat> it is obviously what happened when the Mujahideen hit... Uh, Afghanistan, when the Russians were evicted, there was a lot of heroin and the market here was flooded. People didn't even bother to cut it down. That's why there were so many deaths. Just extraordinary. Yes. Now, let's get back to you. So you went to Monash. So what year did you grace the lawns at Monash? So I was there in 85, 86, 87, but I I didn't finish. Excuse Um, me. And then... Why didn't you finish? Why didn't you finish? Is it the old story... Drugs, sex, rock and roll. What, what's what's what? Why didn't you finish? What's going on here? Oh, look, I, I, um, I, I just didn't finish. And um, um, <laughs> was the um, was the, was the course I, boring? Was the course boring? Give us. A... Well, I I got three hundred two out of four hundred, well. which got me into arts. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to do law because there's another. I was working for a law firm in the city. I'd been working for them for three years, and they said, look, if you graduate, we'll give you articles. And, and uh, But I didn't graduate. And um, and I, um, yeah, I just didn't... I, I was going to do a second degree in law, but I didn't get enough marks, and I was too distracted. Mm. Uh, I was in a relationship, and, um, mm. you know, yeah. uh, I was too distracted, I think. Look, uh, Marcus, Mark... Spargus, we don't do dirty laundry on Radical Australia, so just move on, move on. So yeah. Did you ever? So did you actually ever get your BA? No. Oh, that's sad. So what happens when you, you know, you kind of find yourself on the outer at Monash? What happens? Um, so I decided, look, I, I've got to earn some money because I can't pay the bills. So I thought, all right, well. What's two fields I could go into? Um, and I thought, oh, maybe real estate or insurance. <laughs> now, hang and on, hang on, hang on, Mark, hang on, hang on. Yes. Most normal people in the end of the 1980s wouldn't think that real estate and insurance were fields they could go into. Now, what made you think that these were fields that you were, you know, your fields, you know, things that you're interested in? Well, I, I, I don't think I was even thinking that far ahead. I just thought, well, I knew I knew a bloke <laughs> whose father had a real estate agency in Frankston. Uh, uh. So I went and worked for him. Mm-hmm. And then I got, um, and then, of course, I, I, you know, left there after a while. I wasn't, I don't think I was a really great, I wasn't really a great real estate salesperson um, at, all, at all. I mean, even though later I was in the top 10, for salespeople for Ray White in Victoria, because mm. um, it was it was sort of um, some people were salespeople easily, and some people weren't, and I wasn't. So I sort of had to learn to do that. And then um, 
and then yeah, but then I after I got married, I moved from um, real estate sales to property management. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I I got married after I came back from the Middle East. Hey, yeah. hey, 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 you just opened a gate there, the Middle East. Yeah. Why? So, you, hang on. Why did you go to the Middle East? I'm not interested in your marriage because that could have ended on the rocks. I'm not interested in that. But I, well, it did. But right, that's okay. fine. That's I fine. even helped her meet her new husband, which was quite well, quite understanding. Well, it is very um, understanding. Yes, yes. You, so yeah. when I'd been, I think I was about twelve. Um, um, my father, Joseph, said. You know, got me up at night. I was up late at night watching the BBC's World at War series on Hitler's Holocaust. Mm. And my father, Joseph, said, um, you must make sure this never happens again. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I better go off and join the Israeli army. Right. So so I went off and I, I joined a program. I went off and I joined a program in the Israeli army called the Sarel program. But, and... Um, um, but that didn't work out too well because there was a guy in my room who wanted to, he, he wanted to, uh, something about killing Palestinians or something. Mm. And I said to my um, uh, NCO, I said to her, look, you know, either you get me, either get this guy out of my room or I'll bash his head in. Um, um, because I had, even at, at that time, I had Palestinian friends. Mm. And, um, uh, but then things, things with me and the IDF didn't really work out too well. There was one woman who was being assaulted and I told the NCO that was assaulting her, leave her alone or I'll report you. Mm-hmm. He didn't. So I reported him and then he, he couldn't understand why I'd reported him. And there was another woman who was assaulted and I said, look, you know, I just reported him. And then so relationship deteriorated and um, I had a, a fight with an officer who was bullying me. I don't like bullies. And I punched him and then I got taken to the lockhouse. I got locked up and then I left, um, left Israel on my Australian passport, crossed into Jordan um, to, um, uh, to Petra mm-hmm. and then I um, crossed into via Aqaba. And then um, I crossed into Iraq after the Americans had invaded. And they, there was an American on the border. What were you doing? He got back to, got back to Jordan, got back to Israel, went back to Australia. So, and then I was, I was, um, got married on the way back to Australia in London. So it was a bit crazy. Um, <laughs> she was, she was Israeli, and she, her family were a long line of communists, and they were anti-Zionists. And, mm. So, yeah, and then I just became anti, quite anti-Zionist after after that, realizing realizing what was going on. Right? Did they did they call you one of those? What's the what's the derogatory name they use for people like you in that community? Or is it a a Jew? Schlepper. Is that it? Yeah, what is self-hating that? Jew. Yeah, self-hating so, Jew. Um, yeah. Look. Um, no, no, no. Um, I didn't didn't get any of that. But um, look, you know, so uh, you know, and, and but basically, uh, as you can probably imagine, when I was younger, I wasn't as left. I was never right wing, but no. um, um, when I was younger, I was I wasn't as certainly wasn't as um, 
left-wing as I am now. That sort of came later. Mm. Yeah, so... Yeah, but you always had that from the very beginning. You always had that anti-authority streak in you, the fact that you wanted justice for other people. I mean, that's... that's Absolutely. That's and I got that from my father. Mm. And my father was quite anti-authoritarian as well. Right. So um, my father was involved in the moratorium mm. against the Vietnam War. Um, and, you know, he was big on human rights. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I so inherited the, some of that. So were your grandparents... Did you ever meet any of your grandparents? Uh, yes, I did. Right. And were they were they uh, survivors of the uh, Holocaust? No, nothing, nothing, nothing like, nothing like they lived here. They lived here, um, right. And um, my grandfather was a really much more interesting guy than me. He mm. was a fence. Do you know what a fence is? Oh, I know what a fence is, and you know what a cockatoo is. No, I, I, I thought a cockatoo was a bird. What's a cockatoo? No, if you're a, if you're a fence, you need a cockatoo. A cockatoo okay. is a ten-year-old kid who sits on the roof and whistles when the cops are coming. Well, I'm not sure what the arrangements were between <laughs> my father, my grandfather, and the cops. But but my um, but my I remember when my grandfather died, we had to hand in all these weapons, right. and um, he was he was in, in his eighties. He yes. would get in punch-ups. <laughs> So he was he was a bit of a character, yeah. and my father and he and his father didn't talk to each other for something like fifteen years. Right. Um, right. I think my father was ashamed of him. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, he did what he did to survive. There's nothing wrong with being a fence, you know. You know, it's people who steal things well, have he, to have to be able to sell them somehow. And you, if you can make a buck out of it, why not? Well, he moved. He moved <laughs> a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I can understand. I can understand the genes, mate. It's the genes. Your grandfather, your father, you. You haven't got any children, have you? Not that I know of. Oh, all right. I was just a bit concerned, you know, <laughs> what could happen. All right. So uh, you come back to Australia with a bride. So back to real estate yes. or insurance or what? So I was working, working in – I did want to work in sales because mm. I was married and sales is weekends and it's long hours. Uh, um, so I worked in property management, and then I worked for a, a Jewish firm in Melbourne. I won't name which one, mm. and um, and it was in the area we call the ghetto, um, which is like around Caulfield, um, that area, Caulfield and Kilda. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I I didn't last there that long because I really I was hadn't really had a lot of training, but I, I and then I. So you didn't, know, you, didn't, you didn't know how to evict people who didn't pay their rent, basically. Is that correct? Um, I, w- I didn't have that level of knowledge, that much knowledge. So it was, <laughs> it was, it was hard. But if um, um, I was still moving further to the left at that time. So, but yeah, I sort of... And then I, I started a, um, a, a real estate agency in Melbourne and in Altona, um, my staff got rich, um, but I went broke. You'd <laughs> um, um, be generous, so, were you, if the bonuses were you? Well, I don't know. I looked after <laughs> my staff, and even after I sold the business, yeah. I would, you know, we had a couple of dinners once a year, yeah. and um, um, I looked after my staff. They were mainly Muslim, mm-hmm. um, and 
Sun and Samira were my employees. Mm-hmm. And so I used to sponsor the Newport Mosque. And uh, I had a lot of business in the in the Muslim community in Newport and Altona. Right. Um, and they knew my background. Right. Um, but, um, I, you know, it was a, the GFC happened and I was gone. Bang. Why? Well, Bang. Overleveraged or what? Bankrupt. Bankrupt. Bang. And um, did you expect went it? Down. Did you expect to become bankrupt? Or you kind of flying well, by the set of your pants before the GFC? Um, didn't did I expect it? Yeah, well, I mean, not a lot of people uh, survived the GFC. Not everybody went bankrupt. No, no. But I was trying to be fashionable, <laughs> and so. Um, and my mentor was actually a guy called Joseph he, who died about ten years ago. Right. He went bankrupt twice, uh-huh. so I haven't, I haven't, I've still got one more time <laughs> to go bankrupt to be up there with Joseph. Right, and he was he was an amazing character. But anyway, well, tell us um, tell us a bit about him. If he was a mentor, he obviously had a major ex- effect on your well, life. Well, he was a he was a he was a contradiction. Um, he was a, like he voted Labor, um, but you know he saw himself as working class. Um, but he was an accountant, and he, you know, believed in having a go, and so he had a number of businesses, and one was a gymnasium, and one was something else, I don't know, but he'd been bankrupt twice, and, you know, despite that, he had a great family, he was lucky that his wife worked as a nurse, so it sort of protected them. Yes. Um, so he was, he was, he was a really interesting guy, yeah. I, I miss him a lot. He was he was probably more of a father to me than my father. Yeah. Mm. I remember at the beginning of the conversation, you described yourself as a libertarian socialist. When did you realise you were libertarian socialist slash anarchist? Well, I got involved. I, I my first probably activism I was I was on the you know do you remember Baida Chicken? So yeah, I yeah, yeah, the, yeah, I remember that. I was struggle, on the yeah. picket. I was on the picket for Bayita Chicken. How come? A real and estate then, agent on the picket? What's going on here? Well, by that time I was bankrupt. Oh, I right. was working in, working in social housing. Right. And even as a real estate agent, I was involved in activism, which, you know, it's not, doesn't make sense. So, so I was supporting local residents against a big developer, um, things like that. Um, so... Um, you know, I just yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't a, probably it wasn't. A, I was probably you know, I'd rather be an activist than be a real agent. So, well, so look, um, look there's, don't apologise. We've all got to make a buck somehow. At least you're housing people. Yeah. So, um, but my agency that I had was the only agency in that area who would rent houses to people who were. Um, it didn't matter what colour they were or mm. what, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. So so in that area, half of my rent roll was housing people who were Sikhs. Yeah. Um, they were all called Singh. Um, so, you know, I did some positive things. Mm. Um, and if people were on the margins, they were better off dealing with me than somebody who was probably heartless. Yeah. 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 Well, that's why you went bankrupt. You realise that. Yeah. You realise that. Look, heart and well, business don't go together, especially if you're self-employed. Look, but going bankrupt is probably one of my greatest achievements. Well, it's not hard. Uh, 
Well, they because, take your. Well, they ca- did you keep your bed? Because they can't take your bed away from you. You know that. No, I kept kept my car because yeah. it was worth less than you know five thousand or whatever, mm-hmm. and kept my furniture, uh, but everything else went. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, um, and the 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 wife wasn't really too happy, <laughs> so I. I helped her find a new husband, right. and the husband that she married um, has got two had two houses, mm. and he was he worked in IT. He was really nice. I liked him, mm. so um, I looked after her, I suppose, mm. as best I could, because yeah. um, she was a bit more materialistic than me. Right. She was a lawyer. She was a lawyer in Israel, right. um, and she'd left that to be with, you know. Me? Yes. <laughs> I, I was going to say... What a bad decision that was. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't going to use the word loser, but I was just going to say the word somebody really <laughs> wasn't that interested in making a lot of money, you know? No. What, what would be described in Australian society as a loser? An ethical, moral you. man, you know? Pays his tax, oh. ethical, moral. You're a bloody loser, you know? Thank you. Yeah. Well, it is. It's a badge. Of, it's, it's a badge of honour to be called a loser if you acted morally and ethically during your life. Yeah. Well, um, I'm definitely probably a loser, but um, I've done. You know, I've, over the last ten years, I've done a lot of good. Like, um, I probably achieved. I did a count up, and I helped more than between thirty and fifty people over the last year with. Um, with their rent reductions. Hmm. Yeah. So so when did you go back to real estate? Um, so I, after I came out of bankruptcy, mm-hmm. I basically went into contracting. And so I would contract in real estate for real estate agencies. And um, that, that's that's what I did. And, and yeah, and then I could... Got my passport back too, and I could travel. So I travelled to some amazing countries. And like where? Some of them were quite dangerous. Well, the best one I travelled to was 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 probably um, nearly nearly two years ago, and um, I travelled to Iran. Right. And um, yes, you know the truth is that if yeah. I'd said to people in Iran, you know, I, uh. I was in the IDF. Or if, if they suspected that, yes. I wouldn't have left the country. No, that's so that was right. a close call. Mm. And the high, so I, I had a housemate who was a, an asylum seeker, mm. and I stayed very close friends with him. His name's Reza. Mm. And um, and anyway, so I was fortunate when I was in Iran to stay with his sister in Tehran and to stay with his parents up in the mountains, mm. up in Khal in the north. But the highlight of it was the last day, my last day in Iran, I was being driven around Tehran <clears throat> by the son of a senior retired officer in SEPA, the Iranian Republic of Guard Corps. Right. And they, of course, are incredibly anti-Israel. Mm. Um, and um, it's a bit like, if, imagine if you're a Jew in Germany in the night, late 30s and you're being driven around... <laughs> A tour of Berlin by the SS. Yes, yeah. it's like that. Yeah. Um, uh, so so that was. What did you think of Iran? Good. What did you think of Iran? Just... Loved it. Loved the people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that their culture is more sophisticated than ours. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, well, that wouldn't um, be that wouldn't be very hard. I mean, they've got four thousand years of uh, culture. Well, they they I are mean, a civil. You know, yeah. Iran's like China in one respect. Is yeah. that in that they're both civilizations? Mm. Um, they are civilizations. And look, you know, there's um, when I was in Iran, you you know, you can't. People would say to me, "Oh, what do you think of Iran?" And because you're under you know, it's very dangerous. You can get... I was detained there twice. <laughs> um, Excuse me. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Why yeah. were you detained? Okay, so <laughs> the first time was going to the the great market in, in Tehran, mm. um, and I was there, and two Basij men, like, you know, their Basij officers or whatever with the beards, yeah. they pulled me up and they wanted to look at all my papers and everything. Mm. And they, I don't know if they were practicing their English, they were very polite, mm. and they wanted to practice their, I don't know if they were practicing their English or whatever, mm. but they they mm. accosted me for quite a while, yep. and I had my passport with me, my itinerary, mm. you know, mm. that sort of thing, and they went through everything. And then the second time, because this was during Ramadan, the second time was in Esfah, I think it was in, might have, it was in Shiraz, and in Shiraz, I went down to the river and had a cigarette quite discreetly. And you're not allowed to eat or drink or, or smoke in Ramadan during the day. If you're a traveller, like on, on a bus or something, that's okay. They have, like, exemptions. But And then I, and then the, this police officer and a besieged woman came and, you know, started yelling at me, which is a bit scary. That was terrifying. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of a story. I mean... Uh when you said practising English, I'm going to tell you a story, and I think you were right, they were practising their English. In 1982, I said to my late wife, I said, look, I'm going to go down to the Cairo railway station. I want to book some tickets to go to Khartoum, right, as you do. And I went down to the railway station. It was just packed with people. Finally got to the counter, and they said, no, the border's closed. We haven't got any tickets. And on the way out, I was arrested by the Egyptian uh, tourist police, this bloke with all this braid, you know, gun on his side, he said, come with me. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what's going to happen? I go into his office and he locks the door behind him and I think, this is it, <laughs> this is the end. And then he pulls out this little book. He said, in broken English, he said, I've got an English exam tomorrow and as a tourist, as a tourist policeman, I need to pass this <laughs> test in order to get a promotion. So for the next four hours, I am stuck in this office going through his exam with this bloke. I hope he passed. <laughs> Because when I got back to the hotel, my life. I hope, hope he gave you a, at least a cup of tea. Or no, he, he let me out. He unlocked the door. That's all I wanted was the door to be unlocked. So it Four is. Hours. Yeah, but, but the thing is, if they are tourist police, having a knowledge of English means they get promoted. So I'm assuming that's what had happened to you in the bazaar, the great market. That's they were practicing their English. You know, you were maybe. I don't know. I think know they maybe were, they were I bored. They were, I think they yeah, could be yeah. bored. Yeah. Well, um, the Egyptian Egyptian police are uh, 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 you know well known as being amongst the worst in the world. That's right. Um, That's I remember right. I remember saying to a mate of mine um, who was Egyptian, I was working with, you know, the police 
National Police Day and Egypt's coming up, there's going to be protests. He said, no, no, and he put, put his thumb on the table and he said, it's like, you know, they'll crush everything. And then, and then I think it was like uh, just over a week later, the Egyptian government was overthrown. Yeah. Um, people yeah. had had enough. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, you know, always, we've all got interesting experience. Now, more to the point, you just said that you helped 50 people in the last 12 months. Now, real estate agents don't have a history of helping people. So what's going on in the real estate world? Is things Is there been a revolution or something in the last 12 months? What's going on so, that you're helping people? Okay. So when I'm working as a as a property manager in an agency, I I you know I'm employed effectively by a landlord to collect rent, do maintenance, or whatever. So when I'm there's two sides to this. So when I'm in an office, if it, and the tenants are not there, you know the landlord won't fix something or something, or the landlord's you know being unreasonable. Oh, which is quite common. Um, and most of the stress in that job comes from landlords, you know. Mm. Um, I'll walk outside the office, I'll ring the tenant, um, I'll tell them what they need to do. Often I'll direct them to the website of Tenants Victoria or or, or they'll get an email from a uh, non-work email address telling them what they need to do to, to, to protect their rights. Um, and then, um, you know, often I might you know, reasonably scare the landlord, mm-hmm. tell them, look, you, you know, you'll have to pay compensation if you don't help these people, if you don't do, if you don't... Like, some of the some of the things... I've had landlords not... You know, the tenant doesn't have a working bathroom. Uh, I mean, when I was a... When I had the real estate agency, I was doing advocacy for... Um, through New Hope Foundation for... Mostly for refugees um, and migrants. Um and I remember going, I was doing this advocacy, I wasn't being paid for it or anything, but I was doing this advocacy and I remember going to this um, house in, um, um, in um, um, Laverton where the tenants didn't have an oven. So what they'd, what they'd done is the landlord wouldn't give them an oven. So what they did is they dig a, dug a hole in the backyard so they could cook, mm. you know. And, and that landlord had not... not wasn't prepared to give them an oven. I couldn't. Just terrible stuff. And it's always picking on the most marginalised. Yeah. Yeah, because that... So you're, you're a fifth columnist. You're you're, you're, you're you're the Nazi, you know. That's it. You're the fifth columnist in the real estate industry. That's what you are. I'm, uh, I'm yeah. concerned about people like you. They should be eradicated. Thanks. Haven't? You know, what, yeah, what, well, what's mate, the point of having a to, property manager who's ethical and yeah. moral? Mate, you want to eradicate me, take a ticket and stand in line. <laughs> Who am I standing in line behind? <laughs> Quite a few landlords who are not very happy. Ah. So do you find... Look, Quite a few. Can I ask you a question? I'm interested in real estate. In ter- I'm not going to ask you any investment questions. I don't know anything. But why... Are most landlords so miserable? Is it because they're geared up to their necks or are they just greedy? Well, you know, that's the thing. What is the purpose of a property manager? Like overseas in some countries, you don't have a property manager. So the truth is, why do landlords give 5 to 7% of their rent to the agent? Because the thing is, the, the landlord doesn't want to do their own dirty work. So, so the landlord, it's a lot easier for the landlord to say... 
no, I don't want to fix your bathroom. No, you don't need heating. No, I'm not going to fix. I'm not going to make the residents more secure. No, I'm not going to fix your roof leak. A lot easier to do that when they're hiding behind, you know, some overworked and underpaid uh, person who's normally in their mid twenties. And you know, two thirds of those people, three quarters, are, are young women who who have to. Um, um, you know, they're the property managers, two-thirds or three-quarters, work. you know, do, doing the landlord's dirty work. Mm. Um, not all landlords are, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, are not wanting to do maintenance, but, but um, you know, not all landlords are super greedy. Some are just a little bit greedy. But mm. um, So they're hard behind the property manager. That's why. And that's where the stress comes in. Um, it's a stressful job because you deal with some landlords who are incredibly stupid. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to landlords and uh, properties for rent, the government keeps telling us that uh, it's basically mm-hmm. Australians one owning one house, which they negatively gear. Is that your experience, or are there people out, or are the people who own multiple houses who dominate the rental market? Um. I don't have the data, but from what I know, um, um, from my experience and what I've observed, is it takes money to make money. Mm-hmm. So um, what, you, what you've got is you've got an accelerating gap. So you're getting a huge growth. Like I know one guy who is a guy I worked with, and he has 10 properties. Um, he does a lot of the maintenance himself. Um, he still works the job as far as I know. Um, so you're getting a lot of that. So, you know, because what they do is they build up some equity in a property. So they, you know, they maybe they bought that place for half a million or something. And then maybe they put in a hundred thousand of themselves. But when it goes up from half a million in value to, to 600,000 value, their equity climbs to 200,000. And rather than sell the property, they refinance it and buy a second property. Mm. And they keep doing that. And then eventually they'll own a lot of properties. Um, and, you know, they're basically, it's, it's a loophole that allows people with money to make money. So that's, you know, mm. that, that's one side of the inequality that we've got in Australia. There's obviously other factors, mm. um, such as lack of union membership. Um, but it's, that's certainly one side that, of the inequality that we've got. Huge wealth gap in Australia. I when I, I do a lot of did a lot of commercial real estate, which is more like accounting, and some of the I remember this one guy I worked for, he he I think he had assets of like two hundred million. Mm. Um just ridiculous amounts of money. Mm. And these people, um, they'll with huge amounts of money, they, they don't have anything to do with it. So they'll go and buy some ski racks special key ski racks from Switzerland or somewhere that cost like 5000 and yet their tenant, their tenant needs a working toilet. tenant doesn't have a working toilet. Yeah. And I'll just go back one step now. I think the 31st of March is a very important day in the real estate world. Can you explain why? Well, the moratorium against evictions ends. And so what we're facing, and I'm, I'm going to be evicted as well. What? Um, <laughs> yeah. So my, yeah, which is a, another story, but um, the moratorium against evictions ends 
And um, uh, so, yeah, there'll be a lot of notices to vacate. So I don't know, look, South Australia, New South New South Wales, you know, had, has, has a process to transition that, um, but Victoria doesn't have that. Now, I don't know if it's because Dan took his fall and he's not well or whatever, but I'm surprised that, well, I'm not surprised, but I'm disappointed that the Victorian government hasn't have created a process to, to um, transition that because you're going to have a lot of people becoming homeless at a time when we don't even have the vaccine rollout yet. You know, um, the, 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 a lot of people, I mean, the most vulnerable being vaccinated over the next month or two, but a lot of people won't be vaccinated till later in the year. Mm. And so you're going to have people becoming homeless. Um, mm. um, and then, you, you know, people who can't afford to live. Um, oh, it's a perfect storm. And, it's a perfect storm. Job seeker is, you know, below the keeper. poverty. Yeah, job keeper disappears. Job seekers below the yep. poverty line. The rent moratorium yep. stops and they'll want their back rent. And it just, it's, and, and the COVID 19, um, as you said, vaccine is going to take at least six to 12 months to roll out completely, well, you know? There's another gust to that storm, and the gust is that um, the Victorian government's changed the Residential Tenancies Act in terms of the minimum requirements for housing. So they've lifted those requirements, um, and you should look on the Tenants Victoria website. Um, but um, so a lot, there, there might be quite a few landlords withdrawing stock as well. So there's going to be... There's going to be some dramas, mm-hmm. and hopefully, hopefully, um, hopefully, I'm in the in the eye of that storm. Right. Yeah. Right. So, if anybody is facing this problem, have you got any advice for them in the last few minutes of the program? Look, the the most important advice is go to Tenants Victoria. It's very hard. They've got a lot of information on their website. Um, it's very hard to get through to Tenants Victoria because they're underfunded. Um, but you can also go to Consumer Affairs. Um, and um, and and if, if you're going to become um, uh, homeless, contact people like Launch Housing. Um, you know, if the ways for the Salvation Army uh, and, and Salvation Army sashes... Um, so you need to, but if you, if, if you think there's a trouble looming, the worst thing you can do is put your head in the sand and deal with it next week. Mm. The, the people who come out on top are the ones who make an effort to read up on the Tenants Victoria website and get help quickly um, because there's going to be a lot of people needing a lot of help. Mm. So... Um, um, who was that house you squatted when you were much younger? Oh, that was in Turak, uh, near the railway station. It belonged to the Archbishop, yeah. Well, maybe we need to find some more of those I think residents. I'm not as nice as you, Mark. I suggest that if you find yourself in that situation and the Victorian State Government hasn't legislated a uh, gradual tapering off, that you get your tent and your sleeping bag and you sleep outside your local representative's office. No, seriously, well, it, it does have it does have it does have an impact because they've got to call the police 
and uh, it'll come back over and over again. And the more people who do that, the more likely they are to see that there's going to be an issue. Well, maybe that's one of the things we'll try. Mm. So um, hopefully we, we're organised and, and uh, you know, we can do that. But, um, yeah, so we'll see. I, I mean, I've got my own eviction problems, but um, mm. step by step, you know, we'll get there. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 All right. Well, look, Marcus, Mark, Marco, Spartacus, whoever you are, fifth columnist, it was a pleasure having a little conversation with you. It's good to know that there are people like you in the real estate industry. And as I keep telling our listeners, stop being moral and ethical if you want to get ahead in Australian society. And you've proved that point to us, Mark. You've had a moral, ethical life and it's it's got you nowhere. You're going to be evicted. So, I've got some pretty good friend, friends, though. Yeah, I'm sure you can couch surf for a while, but even after a while they get bored too. That's what I've, has been my experience in the past. So, look, you've got a great life. I think you've got a great life ahead of you, and all I can say is it's, I'm proud that you're one of us, a uh, person on this fair continent of ours, and uh, keep fighting the good fight and look after yourself and lose some weight and stop smoking. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jacob from the Friday Rave, and I'm also on 3CR's Committee of Management. Now, the community of passionate people that founded 3CR a long time ago made some tough decisions. For a start, they committed themselves and a growing community of listeners to back their vision of owning our station and, in doing so, remaining independent of the government and corporate influence. They did this by fundraising, brick by brick, with working bees, door knocks, on-air drives and all the rest of it. You've all been there. Now, their commitment has kept 3CR on air for over 40 years. That's a long time even in my life. But now we need your commitment to keep this great thing going. Now, you can subscribe online at 3cr.org.au or phone us at the station on 9419 8377 or even stop me on the bloody street if you see me at some rally or other and ask me for a membership form. You need to become a member of Melbourne Radical Radio and subscribe. So it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality, and a treaty means justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Thank you.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.